It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Good evening and welcome to Political Prisoner Radio. My name, of course, is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines. I'm being joined on tonight's broadcast by, of course, our co-host and co-producer, Sister Mija Whitlock. Uh, we're looking to bring you some information and news and updates on political prisoners on this program, as the name of the program would indicate uh, to you. Uh, one of the new things that we have incorporated into the program is recognizing political prisoners' uh, birthdays, and we, we do have a birthday coming up. Uh, this week on Thursday, which be May, I believe, 21st, uh, Mondo Wielanga. He is one half of the Omaha 2. And so during the first half of the program, we will be, uh, discussing the Omaha 2 case. I got, a um, bit of an audio clip pulled from a documentary that I thought was well done. Uh, you can find on, on YouTube and we'll play that for you just for those, uh, people who have never heard of the Omaha 2 let alone heard of political prisoners. Uh, so you can have some background of information. And during the second segment, uh, we will be joined by Noelle Hammerhand of the uh, director of prison radio. And she's going to give us an update on the health of political prisoner Momia Abu Jamal. Um, also, we want to ask her about the recent ruling by a federal judge to strike down Pennsylvania's Revictimization Relief Act, a.k.a. the Silence Momia Act. Um, there, there was a recent ruling by a federal judge at the, uh, towards the end of April. And, um, I don't, I haven't seen a whole lot of people, uh, putting this information out there. And thus far, that's a win. You gotta say that's a win. And so certainly we want to talk to, um, Noel Hammerhan about that. Um, now, uh, Sister Mijo, uh, how are you doing tonight? Sister Mijo, we, do we have you on the line? I heard something. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, how, how, are things going? You know, you in an active hot spot right now, war zone on, in Battlefield America. 
And so what's going on in Baltimore before we get into today's program? Is there any news of note that you think the people should hear about uh, that continuing struggle? Yeah, I mean, there's actually a couple of things. Um, one of them is the fact that um, many of the uh, public defenders are fighting to have the uh, curfew citations uh, dismissed. Um, for those individuals that were um, arrested during that rising in rebellion. Um, and we're working hard to uh, liberate other people off of the generous funds of supporters across the country and across the world, as well as, um, you know, I think that the mayor herself, um, you know, we have a horse race up here called the Freakness, and um, she made some comments and uh, the news media made some comments suggesting that, you know, uh, we had a rally yesterday regarding amnesty and curfew, and uh, it was very sensational news suggesting that, you know, we should go and protest over at the prisoners. But, you know, a lot of activists and organizers already know that, you know, that's an uh, area where it's just a lot of drunken white people, it's full of police, and, you know, folks over there are looking for a fight. They're looking for a confrontation, you know, and our focus is, you know, yesterday we um, marched from downtown, uh, went over to the juvenile jail, because um, that's another thing that's, that's important. A lot of people are talking about the adults, but they're not talking about the youth, and uh, many of the, uh, the citations and so-called um, you know, things that adults are being released for, uh, our youth are being snatched into the juvenile justice system. And uh, we've been fighting the building of a new youth jail here uh, for many years. And now it was just made public that apparently there was some kind of compromise made. And they plan on spending $30 million to upgrade uh, a facility. Um, rather than you know, spend $30 million on school construction and school funds. Um, so that's like one of like, those are the two key issues um, that's happening here uh, right now. Um, the $30 million now given to upgrade or rebuild a facility that's supposed to um, house juveniles charged as adults and um, fighting for um the, those individuals to, to continue to come home. Well, and, and I was saying, you know, on the third, uh, making sure that the cops are not only charged, but they're tried and convicted as well. So, a lot more work to be done. We're not finished. And uh, I was actually offended by the mayor trying to say that the pregnancy was an opportunity for Baltimore to exhale. And I'm like, I don't really know folks here in Baltimore that actually go to the pregnancy. I could care less about the pregnancy. Um, and that's not the people who were fighting in the streets. Like I said, it's usually a bunch of drunken white racists over there. Um, so that's not the equivalent of the people of Baltimore exhaling. Um, that, that's white people going over there to have a good time. So You know, one of the um, important things that you pointed out there, I had just called in. Uh, to one of our media partners program, I think it was Tanya Free and Friends, and, you know, they were talking about the juvenile, you know, uh, school to prison pipeline. And, you mm -hmm. know, 
trying one of the panelists said something about trying to figure it out and i was like it's being figured out what is there to figure out when they are building prisons but not building schools and even closing schools in many of of cities where we find non-white people or non-white students um you know the plan is pretty evident and and so um you know it's just interesting that you know not surprising but interesting that y'all facing that dynamic where they want to spend millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars to uh expand or rebuild this juvenile detention facility um as opposed to investing in the education of of the uh Baltimore uh youth so yeah mhm it's actually um the dynamic is um per pupil cost is around ten thousand dollars per mm-hmm. individual student and to incarcerate a youth it's um seventy thousand dollars. So that's the inverted relationship between the two mm-hmm. and the ratio. Mm-hmm. So we spend seventy thousand dollars a year to put a child in the deep end of uh um, and who, who's who's versus, responsible? Who who's responsible? I imagine it was in what the city budget, or is it a special piece of legislation, or what? But who's responsible for this? Is the city council and the mayor, or or what? Um, yeah, I mean, just the the democratic, you know, uh, machine. Um, the liberal, those folks they call them white, themselves white liberal progressives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we do want it to, um, before we're joined by Sister Noel Hammerhand, uh, mm-hmm. we do want to discuss Mondo, uh, we lang again. Happy birthday to you, brother Mondo, if ever you should hear this broadcast. Uh, his birthday is coming up on May 21st. He was born in 1947. He's a native, uh, Omaha, uh, Nebraska. Um, so we want to take a look at the case of the Omaha 2, which also includes it Poindexter. And so just uh, before I play this clip, just some quick background. Uh, Mondo and Ed, uh, 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 yeah, were uh, framed by FBI COINTELPRO operations, which were to frame, discredit, and murder activists, particularly those engaged in the black power movements of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, of course, COINTELPRO, the FBI, could not have done the job that it did without uh, assistance from your local and state police departments around the country, and that is certainly what went down uh, in, in in this case. Um, so, I'm gonna play this clip for you from a documentary. Uh, the documentary. Give me just a moment. I'll tell you how you can find it on YouTube. Just put in uh, the YouTube search engine Airpoint Dexter and Mondo Wilanga documentary and it's like a four-part documentary but we're just going to listen to a portion of it that's just going to describe uh some of um what happened in the courtroom um how they coerced a, a young black male only 15 years old actually brutally assaulted him to get him to lie on the witness stand um so yeah, it's it's just a pretty clear and cut case. And before I play the clip, Sister Meads, did you have some thoughts? Because we had talked earlier about you know the UPR that's going on right now, the United Nations, right. you know, um, um, looking at the human rights records of the United States, and 
it has been really taken over by police terrorism, you know, acts of police terrorism against black people in the United States. And they were, were specifically supposed to focus on COINTELPRO, but because of the recent uprisings and the renewed focus on police terrorism, uh, COINTELPRO kind of took a back seat, even though it's related. And some of my thoughts to you, um, off air was that, you know, I've, I've known, I've actually talked to some young people like college students and stuff that are part of groups like We Charge Genocide out of Chicago that travel to the UN. You got Sabrina Fulton, you know, um, uh, Trayvon Martin's mothers, they went to the UN and that many of these people, you know, they are right to file their grievances uh, with the international community and raise awareness about police terrorism and murder uh, of black children in this country. They're certainly right to do that. But at the same time, though, they need to incorporate in their pleadings to the, the, the court, if you will, or to the committee, if you will, is that how this is interconnected to a longstanding history of police uh, terrorism that we have people in prison right now for their activities to fight against, you know, fascism and, and police terrorism and, and police uh, violence and murder in the black community. And, and because they're not educated, in my opinion, again, just three, four years ago, I became aware of the term political prisoner radio and learning about all these individual uh, cases. So I'm not blaming them for not making it, but just saying, I mean, bringing up the COINTEL pro, uh, political prisoners, but I'm just saying that we had to do a better job on, on connecting these struggles so that people don't be, you know, uneducated or, or, or uninformed about our people who are being held and tortured in any, I mean, Mondo and Ed has been locked up since what, 1970s, what, 45 years now? So, I mean, your thoughts before we roll this clip, Sister Mitchell? Yeah, I mean, that was like our off-air um, discussion, and it's extremely important. I mean, you know, the the police uh, murder of Fred Hampton and Mark Clark in Chicago um, is, is a primary um, example of uh, that police terrorism and genocide from a different generation. And, um, you know, and that just speaks volumes to the fact that we need to have those intergenerational discussions. Most definitely. So here is, uh, we're going to roll into this clip, Ed Poindexter and Mondo Wielanga documentary is about the Omaha 2. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned. Police mentality is when, once you hone in on a suspect, uh, you do all you can to bring that to uh, to court and to for the conviction. And sometimes we take shortcuts uh, in order to convict someone, and sometimes we just do things that are just right down dishonest. And I think that uh, once they they honed in on David and uh, and Edward, that they just carried through and uh, and did it that way. After changing his story several times, Dwayne finally told the police it was Rice and Poindexter who'd made the bomb. He claimed the bomb had been made in David Rice's kitchen after Poindexter had brought a box of dynamite up from the basement. 
Swain also claimed Ed Poindexter told him to plant the bomb at an empty house in North Omaha. He went on to say Poindexter gave him instructions to call the police to the house by dialing the emergency number from a payphone. I did not make that bomb. I didn't conspire with anybody to make it. I didn't put Dwayne Peek up to it, delivering it or having anything to do with it. In fact, the only thing that I said to Dwayne uh, during that period was, go away, you suspended, grow up, because he was displaying some very bizarre behavior at that time. Uh, I had absolutely nothing to do with him making that bomb. I don't know if I would have had whatever it takes uh, to do that, because I had never really seriously hurt anybody that I know about, you know. And to take the step of killing somebody, uh, I don't know if I'd have been prepared to do that. On the basis of Dwayne's evidence, the police decided to charge Rice and Poindexter with the bombing. Many months later, in a wave of publicity, the murder trial was held. According to prosecuting attorney Sam Cooper, Dwayne Peake was the key to the prosecution case. The physical evidence, the, the dynamite, uh, that's all we would have had, I think, without Dwayne Peake. And I suspect it would have been questionable whether you could have filed it. It's pretty clear that absent the testimony of Dwayne Peake, it would have been a weak circumstantial case of murder. I mean, he was critical to the case. Dwayne Peake's appearance in court as a witness was eagerly awaited. His was the only evidence which directly linked Rice and Poindexter to the bombing. When Dwayne Peake walked into the courtroom that morning, uh, he appeared to be like any normal uh, young teenage uh, black person who uh, looked confident, uh, smiled and recognized individuals uh, in the courtroom. Dwayne Peake was called to the stand as a witness for the prosecution. His testimony stunned the court. When he testified in the morning, uh, he denied any involvement on my part or Ed uh, regarding the whole question of, of talking about a bombing or, or constructing a bomb or any of this. And um, I guess my reaction was damn, this little dude is stronger than I could have guessed because I, I know they've done some things to him or said some things to him that would scare the hell out of him. But somehow he's not going along with the program. With those uh, shocking disclosures, shocking to the prosecution, the proceedings ended. Uh, at the request of the prosecutor who asked that the preliminary hearing be continued to the afternoon. Afternoon proceedings occurred. Dwayne Peake comes in wearing sunglasses, looking visibly shaken, changed. I asked Dwayne Peake to take off his sunglasses. His face around the eyes was swollen. It looked discolored to me. His eyes were red. It was clear he had been crying. And my impression at the time was that he had been struck physically, and that's what caused the discoloration and the marks around his eyes. When he took the glasses off, people in the courtroom let out an audible gasp. Dwayne Christopher Peake had been worked on, really worked on, between the morning session and the afternoon session. It was frightening to see what happened to that young man. 
if it were any other set of circumstances, were he accusing some white person of an offense and changed his story as many times and as many ways as he did, his testimony would have been considered so lacking in credibility that it would not have been used for any purpose whatsoever. But because there were certain words they wanted to come out of his mouth to implicate these black men, they could change it, orchestrate it, until they got those words from him. And once the words came from him that they wanted, his mouth became a prayer book. After Duane's changed testimony, the court session ended. That night, he wrote a letter home. They had me in court today. I guess you already know that by now. The Lord knows I tried, but something happened which forced me to realize that I had no alternative but to say what I said. Mama, I'm going through hell. I don't know what to do or how to do it or what to say or how to say it. I can't find the words to say to the people I'm sorry. Most likely they'll probably prefer that I just die. I don't think I'll mind that at all. With love always, Dwayne C.P. The trial continued with the introduction of forensic evidence. After their arrest, Rice and Poindexter's hands had been tested for traces of explosives. These tests were negative. However, the prosecution's forensic expert claimed that dust particles in their clothes had tested positive for the presence of dynamite. But on cross-examination, he admitted that the tests carried out might not have been exclusively for dynamite. In fact, they could have registered positive from a range of other substances. To lend weight to his case, the prosecutor claimed that Ed Poindexter was an explosives expert who'd served in Vietnam. This was untrue. I was, I was a medical aid man most of that time, and then I was a mechanic. You know, no experience with explosives. You know, that was just, again, you know, uh, the press is, um, uh, uh, and the FBI and the police department working in concert. That was their way of, of, uh, making me look as, as, as bad as possible. You know, this guy must have done such a thing. Cause look at him, you know, he looks like him. You know, he's big, uh, burly, black. He got a beard where it's shades. You know, he's, he's, he's a Vietnam veteran. He must have done it. Look at him, you know, and he talks mean. You know, those are the, the images they put in people's minds and uh, it worked. After all the evidence had been heard, Ed Poindexter and David Rice were found guilty. Well, of course, uh, police officers in that situation are always going to think about the death penalty. Uh, at that time, that was not possible in Nebraska. The maximum sentence available was, was life, is, which, uh, is what uh, Rice and Poindexter both received. I was expecting it, but then, you know, there's no way you can pray... Can can, can prepare yourself emotionally for something like that, you know. Um, I was numb uh, for about an hour. Welcome back to Political Prisoner Radio. Scotty Reed on the mic, joined by Sister Mijo. Um, Several things during that news clip. Again, I mean, I kept hearing the narrator say evidence and evidence and evidence, but there was no evidence. All they had was testimony. Testimony of a of a 15-year-old black boy that they had beat beaten you know he testifies in the morning that you know this is untrue these people didn't you know have anything to do with constructing no bomb then in the afternoon visibly shaken battered and bruised on witness stand you know now all of a sudden he changes his story 
and a judge allowed that. So, you know, obviously it should be obvious to anyone that these men are innocent and they've been locked up again since the 19, early 1970s. And, and I, and if I'm not mistaken, it is, uh, similar to several cases like the Angola three, uh, Albert Wood Fox being the last remaining men, member behind bars where you have federal courts ordering these men release or and or given new trials and it is the same in the case of ed poindexter and mondo Wilanga, formerly david rice uh sis your thoughts uh give me just a second sis i got you muted go ahead please sorry about that okay um <laughs> um one of the main things that makes um their case um their coin pro case extremely different is that J. Edgar Hoover actually um, sent a letter to um, the Omaha Field um, office. office. And they were, I mean, we know that they were specifically targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, you and, know, and, and the FBI their, agent in charge of the Omaha office sent a reply to J. Edgar Hoover. And, and these documents have been uncovered by journalists, but it's stated that these right. guys aren't doing anything but feeding children. Right. And they, exactly. and they set them up using, you know, this 15 year old. And, and again, it goes to show you how the system will even, even sacrifice its own. I mean, if I wanted to kill a cop, what sense does it make to construct a bomb out of dynamite? I'm, you know, taking a chance of blowing myself up. Then I'm going to take it to an abandoned house and then call 911, have somebody call 911. And then when this officer shows up, I mean, what was it remote control? Was it on the timer? See, these are questions that it doesn't even seem plausible. If I wanted to just kill a cop, well, I would do like the person, the uh, gunman that they looking for in South Carolina who just walked up on the cop, cop and allegedly shot him in the back several times. I mean, it just seems like a whole lot of uh, uh, trouble to go to to kill a cop by, you know, building a bomb. Does that make any plausible sense to you, Sister Medial? No, and I mean, like, when you really dig down into a lot of these COINTELPRO cases and you literally start pulling um, court transcripts and case files and things like that, um, clearly a lot of these things, you know, do not make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the example we'll hear, um, in Maryland and Baltimore, um, with Eddie Conway. You know, when you start digging through, you know, the cases, it's just like, wait a minute, there's no evidence whatsoever. <laughs> you know, what evidence? You know, and None. we know in, um, yeah. And in this particular case, the only evidence was this beat up kid's testimony. You know, and, 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 you know, and then the evidence when they tested both Ed and Mondo for, you know, residue on their hands, they didn't find anything. And then the FBI uh, laboratory also, of course, played a role in it and they withheld stuff. And, um, I thought that was interesting from the clip because what are we looking, what did we just hear recently, hear recently in the past couple of weeks about the FBI forensic department about how many innocent people they sent to jail on, on what, what falsified evidence? Mm-hmm. Forensics. Contaminated. There's a lot of local, um, you know, departments that are, um, contaminated. I know here in Baltimore, there was just a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago about um, the forensics department, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating like fraudulent, um, 
than what what they would call evidence. But yeah, I mean, or just contaminated, fraudulent and contaminated. And then wasn't there another story about um, a faulty DNA? There's a lot of faulty DNA stuff too. In this particular case, or was that the same article? Um, I believe that was the same article. Uh, the one I read was talking about, uh, like hair analysis and stuff like that. Right. And, and yeah. yeah, that's so, all part of it. That's yeah, all part forensics. of DNA. Yeah, for in the mm-hmm. forensics, and, and so, but a lot of times the forensics they knew was false, especially in the COINTELPRO you know, uh, uh, operations. And so again, you know, this is again why it's important. Like, for example, on Time for Awakening Radio, the program that came on prior to Political Prisoner Radio, um, they were on there talking about the importance of knowing your history. Now here is another, this is evident. People do not know this is even, this ain't ancient history. This is stuff that happened in the past half century that has, you right. know. And this is, people need to say that that's their grandparents. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of the youth now are saying, Asada taught me. And I'm like, well, Asada is 65. Asada is old enough to be your grandmother, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that is, you know, part of, like, what I was saying about having those intergenerational conversations. We have but to. remember Abdul-Majid. Right. But remember Abdul-Majid's attorney came on the radio show and she had brought up the issue of, like, a, a witness supposedly being hypnotized. I never heard that before. I'm like, right, what? Wait right, a minute. I remember. That didn't even make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had never heard that about Ab- Abdul-Majid's case before, ever. Now, I'm a bit confused, and again, I'm always trying to learn. Um, I had always thought that Ed and Mondo were part of the Black Panther Party, but I came across some information that says they were part of the Intercommunal Committee to Combat Fascism, which began as the Berkeley NCCF National Committee to Combat Fascism, which was developed as a result of the United Front Against Fascism Conference sponsored by the Black Panther Party in 1969. Uh, the Berkeley NCCF was founded... Let, let, let me read down some more. Uh... I'm going to have to do some more research on that. Do you know right off, Did were they part of a Black Panther chapter in Nebraska, or were they part of the Intercommunal Committee to Combat Fascism? No, they were definitely Nebraska. Nebraska Panthers. Mm-hmm. Panthers. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, mm-hmm. so I got I got confused there. All, all right, so, yeah, but again. Well, you know, you have to remember, Scotty, that across the country, um, there were a lot of different formations and a lot of different organizations. And they worked so together. So what existed in one city mm-hmm. may not ex- have existed somewhere else. But you they, know, but they like did have, but they did have ties and relationships with different organizations. Right, absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, so if you, if you look at New York, you'll say, okay, there was Ram and, but okay, so we'll use Matula as example. Okay, so Matulu wasn't Matulu Shakur, a, right. a member of the Black Panther Party. Matulu right. Shakur, so, for those who don't know who she's speaking about. Right. So we know that Matulu is GPRNA and uh, RAM. However, he has, you know, multiple personal relations with, you know, Panthers and Panther Cubs, but he himself, you know, was part of a different formation. Um, so, like, just speaking to a lot of the elders, you know, and getting the young people to understand that there were a multitude of different formations that were out here. Even like we can look at Pennsylvania, you know, and, and Russell Maroon Schultz, 
And, um, you know, we had the Black Unity Council in Pennsylvania. And that was, that, that would have been like Pennsylvania, that community specific formation that was also connected to the BLA. It was also connected to the Black Panther Party. So, you know, um, that's just, when, when people look at the history of our elders and history of formations across the country, they have to understand that what exists in one place, you know, didn't always exist somewhere else. Yeah. You know, and everything, and everything just wasn't always about just the Black Panther Party. There were a lot of other different formations that are out here. Mm-hmm. And if we don't continue to recognize those formations, then we ourselves engage in, you know, our own movement erasure. So. I, I most certainly agree, but I think the biggest task that we face with the youth is just even letting them know that political prisoners exist. Again, I have to keep pointing to myself. I'm in my forties and I just learned about, you know, all these different formations, political prisoners, prisoners of war, uh, people being tortured in prison, solitary confinement over 40 years. And, you know, the general public does not have this information. And that is why I feel like the work that we do, and of course I may be biased, but I feel like the work that we do um, is vital. Not only us, but of course, you know, those preceding us and, and we're just using technology, you know, to, to play our role in hoping to educate the people. So if we're not having conversations with our daughters, with our, like you mentioned, even our grandkids, you know, some of us got grandkids that are teenagers now, you know, if we're not educating on them and making them see how, how, you know, black lives matter is just another extension of of a spirit of struggle that has been ongoing in this country for hundreds of years. But I mean, we, again, we don't even have to go back hundreds of years. We can just go back, you know, 40, 50, 60 years. Now, And we uh were scheduled to have um Noelle Hammerhan of Prison Radio to join us to give us an update on the health of uh Mumia Abu Jamal, who is a Pennsylvania political prisoner. Um I'm going to go ahead and take a break. I do have a uh audio clip from Shaka Zulu um which was posted to Prison Radio this week of uh, speaking on uh, brother uh, Mumia's situation. So you're listening to Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. If you would like to quest- ask a question or make a comment concerning uh, political prisoners and, and, you know, the issues that we face today, give us a call. 704-951-5030 is the studio line. Uh, if you want to dial in to the conference line, that number is 530-881-1400. The participant code it's five four nine zero three two pound. Hit star six and one. But the short number to remember seven zero four nine five one five zero three zero. Stay tuned. We'll be back on the other side. So we say we always say the Black Panther Party that they can do anything they want to us. We might not be back. I might be in jail. I might be anywhere. But when I leave, you remember I said with the last words on my lips. from the Black Talk Radio Network. This is Nestor Garcia speaking from Havana, Cuba. And what I want to tell you is that you have all our solidarity on your fight for the several 
political prisoners that have been held by the US government. Our comrades and we will fight for the social, political and human rights of the masses in your country and we are ready to help you in all the ways we can. So count on us for all your campaign and for all the things you want to do for the freedom of your people and the freedom of the political prisoners. Mumia. Mumia is a soldier of the people, a long-distance revolutionary that have been and continue to be a standard of inspiration for all oppressed people and black revolutionaries in America and across the world. But I do not want to talk about his revolutionary credentials. No, this is a personal plea. Comrade, our dear brother, Mumia is sick. We want to implore the people to get behind the campaign to save this brother. He is at the hands of a vicious and brutal prison system that wants to see him die. But only you, the people, the people who have saved him from death row, the people who have freed political prisoners in this country in the last 15 years, the people who have brought Nelson Mandela home, the people, the Irish people, Malcolm X calls them the grassroots people. It is you who can save Mumia Abu-Jamal. Not the politicians, not the prison system, most certainly not the doctors and nurses that are employed by the prison system. So this campaign to get doctors and nurses into the prison of Mumia's choice is very important, very critical. This is coming from a brother who has spent the last 15 years in the prison system. So I can tell you firsthand that any kind of medical attention Mumia Abu-Jamal would get from the hands of the Department of Corrections would be minimum at best. So we implore everybody to get behind this campaign to save this wonderful and beautiful brother. On behalf of the New African Black Panther Party, we want to say to Brother Mumia, we love you, comrade. Get well quickly. Dare to struggle, dare to win. Panther love. This is Chairman Shaka Zulu. These commentaries are recorded by Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for live programming schedules. Visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back. You're tuned in to Political Prisoner Radio. My name is Scotty Reed. Uh, sitting in on the broadcast is Sister Amijo. Uh, Sister Amijo, we still haven't been joined by... Um, um, Noel Hammerhan yet, but I'll keep an eye on the phone line. We got about what uh about twenty minutes left in the broadcast. We're also taking calls from any of the listeners. You know, I, I we would like to hear from you on the issue of our political prisoners. Have you ever heard of these people we discuss on this program before? Are you hearing anybody else? Uh, talking about it and, and what are your thoughts does there need to be a more concerted effort to connect young people you know with the roots of the struggles that they are waging right now um so uh mumia with brother mumia now 
you know, it's been what going on a couple of weeks when we first heard that, you know, he um, was in a diabetic coma. He has since come out of that diabetic coma, uh, but he isn't, you know, looking like his old self. And so um, I heard, you know, that he got out the hospital, went back to the prison, and now he's back in the hospital. So what have you heard, Sister Meja? Where do things stand? Uh, Sister Meja, you there? Did we lose Sister Amijo? No, I think we still got her on the line. Sister Amijo. Okay, something going on with Sister Amijo. Sister Amijo, you might have um, muted yourself. And so um, let me see if I can pull up Political Prisoner Radio on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, please follow us there for uh, information that uh we like to pass on that others sent to us on the issue of our political prisoners and prisoners of war in this country now th- the last update that i got was from may uh 13th and that was from brother doshan farad uh who actually hosts a radio program on black talk radio network it's called let's build with Doshan Farad. It comes on Monday nights at 9 o'clock uh, p.m., no, 10 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And this is what he posted because he was actually um, in Pennsylvania uh, during commemoration um, um, activities or, or um, events around the bombing, the 30th anniversary of the MOVE bombing, which we talked about last week. So he was um, there in Pennsylvania attending some of those events, and he uh, posted this update on the 13th, was was four days ago. He says, I was with Pam Africa a few hours ago when she got this call that Momia was rushed back to the hospital. We'll be sure to keep you updated. And so that is the last thing that um I have heard. I'll check out Brother uh Doshan's um timeline to see if he uh has posted anything else uh since then about uh Brother Momia. Well actually why don't I go to Brother Momia's Facebook page? That'll make more sense, wouldn't it? Just type his name in that Facebook search engine. Um, this was, um, again, May 13th, uh, same date. So that's the la- latest information. Mumia hospitalized a SCI Mahoney prisoners called, uh, brother Mumia's wife and told her that Mumia had been moved to the hospital. This is a disturbing development and is cause for grave concern. There are reports that he had a fever and that he has open wounds and sores on his legs his attorney brett groat visited him on friday he was engaged alert yet he was in pain in his knees and legs do we have you back sister Mitchell? i'm here can you hear me yes we hear you now okay so i was okay. just um just given i haven't heard anything else since these may 13th updates uh what about you sister Mitchell? Yeah, my last understanding is that uh, Sister Noel from Prison Radio uh, was putting out um, information, the latest information about um, the ideas uh, being denied visits. They're not communicating. Um, so at this point, once again, he's nobody knows what's happening. Um, there's no... Um, I mean, it's, everything is being held uh, secretive. They won't let um, a, a private doctor come in, even though there's policies stipulating 
um, that he should be able to have um, that as a resource. And um, there is an event that I saw that Toronto ABC was doing to um, support um, Prison Radio and um, Noel and uh, all, of, all of her hard work. Actually, I do have an update I found from her page that she posted a link mm-hmm. three hours ago, and it says a uh, dateline May 17, 2015, Danville, Pennsylvania. So that's today. We have not seen or spoken to Mumia Abu Jamal for a week. He is being held incommunicado in a hospital without access to visits of any kind or the phone. They won't even confirm where he is being held. This is deeply troubling. On Tuesday, May 12th in the evening, Momia was taken from the prison infirmary to Jessinger Medical Center in Danville, Pennsylvania. An inf- uh, um, infirmary nurse called his wife at 8.30 p.m. noting that he was transferred because he had a fever and blistering open source. He was last visited on Saturday. Since Tuesday, Mumia Abu-Jamal has been isolated from his family, his lawyer, and his doctor. Uh, Wadia Jamal, his wife, has been trying to get into the hospital. The legal and medical team have been working 24-7. Brett Grote Esquire Abolitionist Law Center and co-counsel uh, Bob Boyle are preparing an emergency court action to be filed in federal court. They have been calling the prison and the hospital demanding access. Uh, Brett Grote uh, notes... The DOC is once again demonstrating its contempt for human rights and proper health care by holding Mumia Abu-Jamal incommunicado from his family and lawyers. Instead of recognizing the value of family support and legal consultation in protecting and improving his health, the Department of Corrections is treating Mumia like a piece of property. Some would say a slave that it can withhold access to and information about arbitrarily and with impunity. People around the world have been fighting like hell for Mamiya for more than 33 years, and we are all needed once more to push back against another attempt to silence him, demand that Mamiya be permitted visits and phone calls with his wife, family, and lawyers. Um, I'm going, it's a pretty lengthy um, post, so I'm going to share that on our Facebook page. Uh, for whatever reason, it's, it's saying chattel slavery, okay? It's saying chattel slavery, but it's a Mumia update. Um, so I'll just go ahead and, and correct that on the Facebook post. Okay, um, Sister Mija, we have about 10 minutes left in the broadcast. You have any thoughts on this? And again, you know, things aren't, you know, the same old, same old. When are people going to recognize that, right. that you can't reform this system? These people ain't trying to do right. They ain't about being, you know, um, humane in their treatment of people they have enslaved. And so, you know, uh, uh, the only thing I can do is, is try to keep our listeners or this station informed and any, you know, cause to action issued by the family members and those close to Mumia is to pass those along. And for those people that, you know, know the words of prayer, as they say, you know, to be, um, 
you know, keeping Mumia in those prayers because we do not want to lose him. We don't want to lose anyone, you know, but Mumia particularly, you know, um, has a distinguished voice in the movement and has had one for quite some time. And, you know, they went out of their way to pass that law, silence Mumia law, you know, is what we called it, but of uh, the Revictimization Relief Act, which a federal judge just struck down at, uh, I believe it was the last days of April. Uh, you got any thoughts, Sister Medium? Yeah, I mean, I think people still need to stay, you know, as we're putting this information out from Amia, that people need to stay vigilant. They need to stay alert. They need to listen. If we need people to make calls, then we need people to make calls. If we need people to write letters, we need people to write letters, you know, and just for folks to stay up on the action alerts and to keep checking out um, the, the prison radio page of uh, Sister Noel Hanrahan. And, um, you know, I didn't want to um, end this show without also mentioning um, the, the mother of uh, Tamir Rice. As uh, you spoke earlier about the 10-year-old boy um, being made, and I know that was a conversation that we also had off radio, um, but it's important also to bring up, um, you know, the, the police murder of uh, Tamir Rice and the fact that, you know, his mother is going through so much and um, been so um, traumatized by, um, you know, this this police terrorism and genocide that was thrust upon her and her family to the point where, you know, she she's homeless now and and in a shelter mm-hmm. because she can't, you know, post traumatic um, stress you know, disorder. Yeah. Exactly. And um, you know, the family still doesn't even have um his his physical body. Um and I just I mean it's just disgusting. It, it it's appalling and um you know, I just would really hope that some things would start, you know, erupting in, in Cleveland. You know, back to back, you know, murders of, you know, John Crawford and Samir Rice, you know. And and uh, that young ten year old's name that was a conversation myself and Amijo had offline. I had mentioned to her, um, you know, did you hear about Devonte Clinton? He was a ten year old child who was among a group of people who suffered a chemical attack while participating in peaceful public demonstrations in downtown Minneapolis. I actually wrote published an article about it. It includes several videos of the incident, and I'll be talking more about this uh, particular story tomorrow um at four o'clock PM Eastern time uh on Black Talk Radio News right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. So yeah, I mean it is important. It is important and and so I'm like, man, I, I'm gonna let you in case people haven't heard, you know, uh this young man, this young kid being attacked by this police, I'm gonna just let y'all hear it hear, hear this video clip and uh you know, because this is why we fight. This is, you know, why people struggle and have done so for hundreds of years in this country. Oh, my God. 
And I probably should have warned y'all that there was some, um, you know, words not safe for radio, uh, in that clip. Apologies for, for that. But you just, I mean, those blood curdling cries of that young man. And they're still trying to find out who, who, who did it. You know, I mean, they know it's a cop, but you know, I don't think the cop is going to turn himself in and, uh, you know, face the music or face consequences for, attacking a child with with a chemical agent and um i doubt if his fellow police officers are going to turn him in if they know who he is they don't rat on each other you know what i'm saying so you know this is why we fight this is why people struggle this is why people have built movements this is why we have political prisoners today um in closing, I did want to bring up the fact um, about I wish we had been able to connect with um, Noelle Hammerham, but we had had her on before to talk about the Silence Mumia Act, uh, which is also known as the Revictimization Relief Act that was uh, unconstitutionally passed. Uh, it was rushed through the state legislature in Pennsylvania last October and signed by the outgoing governor who had lost Tom Corbett barely three weeks after Goodert College in Vermont announced that it would use a taped speech by Mumia Abu-Jamal uh, in its commencement address. These students chose him because he is a graduate of Goodert College. And um, so it gave crime victims or prosecutors the right to seek a court order to stop any conduct by an offender or former inmate that perpetuates a crime's effects on the victim. So when we play, what they're trying to say is when we play radio commentaries from Mumia Abu-Jamal talking about Ferguson, talking about Palestine, talking about police terrorism, talking about elections, talking about whatever. You know what I'm saying? That, oh, he's, he's re-victimizing, you know, the family of the, the cop that he did not kill, but he was convicted of killing. All right. So, you know, this law was uh, struck down by Christopher C. Connor, the chief judge of the Middle District of Pennsylvania. Uh, he held the law unconstitutional in response to two separate lawsuits uh, by Abu Jamal and several other current and former prisoners, prison-oriented nonprofit and advocacy groups and media outlets that included Prison Legal News, uh, Philadelphia City Paper, as well as Prison Radio, which, uh, again, you know, Noel Hammerhan is the director. Um, he bluntly, Judge Connor, bluntly rejected State Attorney General Kathleen Kane's arguments that the law's primary goal was to eliminate taunting or harassing behavior towards victims, that it was directed against conduct, and that any First Amendment infringement was incidental, he wrote. The um, I'm going to share this article on our political prisoner radio page i'm sharing it with you there now if you want to read about it but um again it is good news a district court judge has federal judge has struck this law down and um so yeah all right uh sister Mitchell, in our closing minutes did you have any final thoughts uh that you would like to share with our listeners um i just wanted to you know i guess my final thought would be that you know, um, I, you know, pray for, you know, Momia and his family and that, you know, we could fight to uh, gain his freedom and that he'll get the adequate medical services um, that he deserves. 
Most definitely and all of them. And once again, we do want to, um, say, send, uh, happy birthday greetings. Although, you know, how happy you can be, um, when you've been wrongly, wrongfully convicted and locked up for 45 years. But, um, you know, the sentiment is the same. We wish it was under better conditions that we were recognizing or observing the birthday of Mondo. We linger one of the Omaha two. Please educate yourself about the case educate others this is a part of our ongoing history of struggle in this country and it's a shame that you know um it's a shame that more of our youth don't know these names um so it's upon like i've heard uh some of our other media partners uh say on the program last week or on the network programming last week you know if you don't know about something that's one thing but once you uh receive information then it, you know, you are, are held to a higher standard about how you use that information. So you learned some new, maybe perhaps you learned some new things tonight. Don't hog the information to yourself because, you know, um, it's not going to benefit the victims of COINTELPRO if, you know, uh, they remain faceless, nameless, and, and hidden from public view. So do your small part by just uh, uh, making other people aware of their cases. Uh, we will be back on air with another episode of Political Prisoner Radio next Sunday, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Peace and blessings. A ballad behind bars, or you could say real rock from the rock, an unusual musical happening in a most unusual place. The state prison have... I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for the army or whatever. Bitch, of me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute. The suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in myself. How long has it been? They got me sitting in a state pen. I gotta get out of that thought was thought before. I gotta play to the plan on the cell floor. I'm not a fugitive on the run. But a brother like me begun to be another one. Public enemy serving time to do the line, y'all. To criticize me for some crime. Nevertheless, they could not understand that I'm a... Okay, round two. Name something that's not... Boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.